Uh, I'd love us to turn to Acts chapter 2, please. And I know uh, normally when a preacher invites you to do that, some people do, some people don't, because you know there's going to be slides on the screen. Well, guess what? This morning there are no slides. But I do want you to turn to the passage because we're actually going to go on a whistle-stop tour through the book of Acts. And we're going to read lots of scripture together. And so church this morning is a family project, okay? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I spoke uh, from Acts chapter 4. And at that time, I kind of drew uh, four characteristics of a true follower of Christ. Or perhaps a better word to use is four marks. I said, what does a true follower of Christ look like? And I shared, for those who can remember, I remind you quickly, four characteristics or four marks. I said the first thing is that a true follower of Christ serve God consistently, especially in suffering. We saw what happened to the early church when persecution came and suffering came. It very quickly revealed that are they in this relationship with God for what they can get out of it? Or are they in it because he's the creator of the universe, sovereign, worthy of our worship, love, adoration, praise? And we saw that they had their priorities right. They were in it to worship him. They didn't pray prayers of God, get us out of this mess, protect us, help us. No, no, they said, God, bring boldness so that we can worship you more. We saw that a, another mark of a true follower of Christ is someone who loves God intentionally. When Jesus said in John 15, 15, no longer do I call you servants, I call you friends. He meant that. It means that we kick religion into touch. This is no longer about rules and regulations and moral obligations. This is about a deep, deep friendship. Jesus wants to be your best friend. Intimate. Close. We also saw that, that when we, when we uh, follow Christ with all our hearts, that we become radical givers, right? We're no longer concerned about stuff. We give it away. Why? Because our security is not in our jobs, glorious as they may be, or our properties, or whatever. Our security is in God and God alone. And so we are radically generous. And then we saw that people who follow Christ with all their hearts and minds and soul, experience God periodically. That Jesus said, I'm leaving, but I'm giving you the comforter. And what this comforter will do is to make me, Jesus, more real to you. And it's on this aspect that I want to double-click this morning. I want to talk about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, because we have seen so much of it already throughout this preaching series on the book of Acts. Almost every preacher would have mentioned this, the outpouring, the filling of the Holy Spirit. And I want us to really look at that this morning. But before I do so, I do want to take a step back and make sure that we all understand a little bit more about the Holy Spirit. You see in church circles, there are these, these two extreme views. On the one hand, there are the cessationists, tongue twister. And these people say, actually, we don't need much Holy Spirit experience. 
For us, it is all about the Bible. Because God is a God of order. And so we don't pursue the spiritual experiences at all. Walk with me to the other side where we find the charismatics. Where they say, well actually it's all about the Holy Spirit. It's not so much for us about God's Word. It, the, the entire emphasis is on the Holy Spirit. Well for us here at Lyft, I'd love to think that we find ourselves somewhere in the middle. You see, if you only have the Bible, you will dry up. If you only have the Spirit, you will blow up. But if you have both, you will grow up. Don't you like that? And so what we do need is to say, yes, we want spiritual experience. But according to God's Word, we need discernment so that God can do a deep work in us as we pursue these, these spiritual experiences. So that God is a God of both power and of order. So, back to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to walk through a variety of scriptures. I'll guide you in them. Stay with me, please. Because what I want to do with this passage is I want to answer three questions. Keep it simple. Number one, first question is what is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Number two, why is it so important? Why is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit such a big deal? And number three, if it is, how do we get it? What it is, why do we need it, how do we get it? Three simple things. And so grateful that this word gives us all the answers. So, Acts chapter 2, we're at Pentecost. We're in verse 1. 120 or so disciples are waiting just like Jesus told them to. And I'm reading from verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the, like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. They then spill out onto the streets. It's a little bit chaotic. Uh, people look onto them and what do they see? Verse 11, they say, We hear them declaring the wonders of God. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they're too much wine. Let's keep moving. Acts chapter 4, the second outpouring. This is a prayer meeting in Jerusalem. The church has been persecuted. What do they do? They come together to pray. Verse 31, Acts chapter 4, verse 31. After they prayed, what happened? The place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. We keep going. Acts chapter 8, the third outpouring, the Samaritan revival. Philip leads many, many peoples to Christ. So much so that he panics and he phones these bosses in Jerusalem and say, You've got to come and help. We've got too many people who've become Christ followers. Verse 15, when they arrived... They prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them, 
They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them. And they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw the Spirit was given at the laying on of apostles' hands. And said, give me also this ability. So that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. The fourth outpouring. Acts chapter 9. Paul. Paul comes to Christ uh, on his own. He's blinded. And his friend Ananias becomes to the aid of this new believer. Verse 17. Placing his hands on Saul. Ananias said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and guess what? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Outpouring number five. Cornelius and his mates, they invite Peter to come and preach and he preaches such a magnificent message. These are Gentiles. These are people who've never heard the gospel before and they get radically transformed. They, ex they invite Jesus into their lives. Acts chapter 10 verse 44. While Peter was still speaking the gospel, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? Just they, have just they have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And then the final outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 19. The Ephesian converts. This is where Paul uh, comes and he preaches. And again, people who know very little about the gospel, many of them come to believe. Paul asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Back to our three questions. What is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Well, from these six outpourings, we can draw some conclusions, right? The first thing is that it is not the same as God's forgiveness. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit is not the same as God's forgiveness. The Samaritans were already saved. The people at Pentecost believed they were saved. Paul believed he was saved. It is not that. It is something then over and above salvation. It is not the same as, big word, regeneration by the Spirit. This is a term that the theologians give us. That what happens when we become followers of Christ. It is a magnificent thing. That in that moment, God makes himself visible to you. It blows my mind. For me, after 35 years of rebellion and hard-heartedness and just doing my own thing, that God could in a moment open my eyes to see him. That is the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. He came to live in me and he changed me forever from that day onwards. Every believer this morning, if you are a follower of Christ, you need to know that you have received the regeneration of the Holy Spirit in you so that you can see God clearly. That's a given. All believers, no exceptions. But it's not the regeneration of the Holy Spirit that we're talking about. It's something that's given to both individual and gathered believers like we have this morning. Paul on his own. Holy Spirit fall on him. 
All the other cases where the churches got together in one way or another, in a prayer meeting or a gathered meeting like we've had this morning. It is something that you consciously experience. You will not walk away from an experience with the Holy Spirit and scratch your head and think, Wow, what was that about? You will know that God has come to you through the Holy Spirit. There's no questions about that. It is, you, you will consciously experience this. And although many different terms are used in the book of Acts, let me give you a few. Baptism with the Spirit, receiving power, being filled with the Spirit, outpouring. doesn't matter what it says, but Paul asked this key, key question when he came to the church. He says, have you received the Holy Spirit? Why does he ask it? Because it is that clear. And people could take stock of their lives and say, no, we haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit. We're not talking some, about some spooky stuff here, folks. This is 100% biblical. The Holy Spirit given to us. It is a supernatural experience. You see, many people think that, man, Christianity is just a set of moral beliefs or maybe some emotional feeling. But what we see here is very different. There's some wild stuff that happened here. And I and you cannot explain it in the natural. It is a supernatural experience. And so when the Holy Spirit falls on us, it is a supernatural thing. We need to know that. It is something God wants to give to you and to me. We are His children. And I love in these passages so many times we heard the word all. It's one of my favorite words in the book of Acts. All. Not the specialists, not the pastors, not the preachers. All received the Holy Spirit. I'm wondering, is there a place in our lives where we have lowered our expectation? Where we think this Holy Spirit is some weird thing that, that's maybe reserved for a few or some people on the fringe? God wants to give you the Holy Spirit, my friends. And then it's not something that we can self-generate or manipulate. We cannot flick the switch. God wants to give us the Holy Spirit, but He'll do so on His terms when He wants to, when He knows it's right for us. We can't manipulate Him into that. And so... Pulling all of that lot together. Here's my working definition for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, right? Lucy, if somebody bumps into you at Metali and say, Lucy, what is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Here's your answer. It is a conscious, supernatural, wonderful, and heightened experience of the presence and power of God given generously by God to individuals and the church together as a gift over and above of salvation. Okay, I can see you are mesmerized. It is a conscious, supernatural, wonderful, heightened experience of the presence and power of of God giving to us as believers. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, I get mildly excited. Because I want that. I want more of that for my life. I cannot fly solo. 
And whenever I attempt to pull off life on my terms, I get horribly stuck. And God brings me back to my knees and says, Krista, you were never meant to live like this. When last have you asked to be filled by the Holy Spirit? And if you take nothing away from today's talk, if there's one little spark in you that can say, I want more of the Holy Spirit for my life, then we can go home now and drink coffee. I'll be very happy. My friends, we need to desire this. We need to ask God this. These passages that we've read, this is us. Zuke 2022, we're just like these churches. We live in a foreign world. And we need the Holy Spirit to come. And do what only the Holy Spirit can do. Which brings me to point two. Why do we need the Holy Spirit's outpouring? What's the big deal this morning? And I want to give you just two reasons. I mean this is a sermon on its own. But I want to focus on two things. And I want us just to think about this. If you look at the lives of the, of the followers of Christ at Pentecost. Before Pentecost. I mean they were a terrible bunch. They were pathetic. Thomas doubtful. Peter ashamed. They were too scared to share their faith. All of them. They were afraid. They were scared. They were running. And the Holy Spirit come. What happens? Everything changes. They're giving assurance. They're given boldness. None of them wanted to speak about their faith. But when the Holy Spirit come, they know that they know that they know that God is real, that He's the creator of the heavens and the universe, and that He sent His Son to die for us, and that the relationship is full of grace and mercy and kindness. They know that. Not only did they know that, that they know that the price that Jesus paid on the cross was so that they could participate in the greatest revolution of all kind, all time. And to take the gospel, this message that changes us as we sang this morning from the inside out, to take that message everywhere. All of a sudden there's a boldness on them, my friends. I've noticed in my life, when I don't have the Holy Spirit regularly washing me, my witness is useless. I am just as scared as these guys. I run for the hills. I was driving on my way to a customer when I heard a voice in my head saying, this was not going to be an ordinary business meeting. And I start praying, God, speak to me. Help me. Give me wisdom. Give me courage. In that meeting, the person opened up about their life. It's messy. I said, God, give me boldness. I invite them to come, person come to a church meeting, just like ours. Expecting nothing. She's coming. And again. And again. Hear the gospel. Ask Jesus to change her life. I wish I could say that about so many more of my other meetings that I've had. Where the opportunity was so rich and so full. And I just squandered it. Why? Because I was trying to fly solo. If you are a frustrated witness of Jesus this morning... 
I can give you a whole lot of tips and techniques, but none of them will work more than this. Ask the Holy Spirit to walk with you into situations that's way, way too big for you and I to handle. And so we see here that the Holy Spirit gave them assurance. They were sure. This was not hoping, believing, maybe, could be. They knew. And it made them bold. What a transformation. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. A second reason I would offer as to why we need the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is what we saw here as well, is that it elevated their level of joy and worship. It's no longer this dry exercise of trying to follow some moral teaching. It is alive. The first thing they did after Pentecost, what did they do? You guessed it. They declared the wonders of God. They reminded themselves as they walked to the street that God is sovereign, He's creator, and He's merciful and kind, and He's Lord of all. That's what they did. The moment the Holy Spirit came on them, it elevated their worship to a level they've never experienced before. And man, we've had sweet moments. I've only been here five years, but we've had four and a half years, but we've had sweet moments in this church. We've had moments where God's presence has dropped in on us and it changes us from the inside. I wonder, do you come to church on a Sunday because you've got nothing better to do or you bought, or you do it out of tradition, or you're coming expectant. God at work. God changing us. Because that's what, he, that's what He wants. And so we need the Holy Spirit to change our level of worship and our level of, of just enjoyment of God. We see these people flowing into the street. It looked like they were drunk, but they were not. It took their joy to another level. You may be going through some of the hardest things in your life this morning. I will never do anything to minimize that, man. Some of the stories I hear, I just can't even imagine what happens to some of our people. And I don't want to come and just offer you some lip solution to any of that stuff. But all I can say is in my life I've had sorrow. And I've had pain. But I've also had unimaginable joy. And the joy comes when the Holy Spirit falls on me. Don't settle for less. Don't settle for less. Worship, praise, joy. And then thirdly, how do we receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Again, this is another book. Let me just give us a few to work with. And it starts with this. And I really want you to hear this. Because I've struggled with this. But it starts with the belief that God wants to give you the Holy Spirit. I grew up in a Dutch Reformed church where my parents forced me to go for the first 18 years of my life. And I hated most of it. There was no life. There was authority, but no life. I'm not aiming to go at a church that's done wonderful things. I'm telling you about where I was. 
And I walked out of there at age 18. And I never put my foot in a church again until I was 35. I stopped believing that God of the universe wants to give me the Holy Spirit. I had to experience that again. I had to take my disappointments to God. I had to ask Him. And He knows best. We cannot self-generate the experience of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We cannot manipulate. But boy, we can ask. When last have you asked? And God knows what is best for us. There may be a whole variety of ways, as we saw this morning. Some strange thing happened, some less so. We cannot box God in. But we have to believe. It starts with us. If you are a devoted follower of Christ, you have to believe that God wants to give you the Holy Spirit. And so, how do we get it? Expect to get it when we gather in community. Paul walks on his own. God does something off the charts. That can happen. But the general pattern in Scripture is the Holy Spirit is most active, outpoured, when we are together in a place like this. Or in a small group. Or in a prayer meeting. Or when a bunch of us just get together. It could be in a coffee shop. And so when the community gathers, that is the norm. That is what we see here. And that is, my friends, what makes church so exciting. When we miss out on church in a week, I, ache, I can go onto the video tube, YouTube channel and watch it, but I ache for what I'm missing when we, when we worship and when we're in the middle of that and God does something and He speaks to us and he, I miss that. And God wants to do that and He has been faithful to that. Most of you in this room can say, yes, Christo, I believe you. I believe what God is promising you. This is not, this is not wishful thinking. This is God has done this. He's poured out His Spirit on us when we, when we gather. And it may be through, like we saw this morning, uh, Peter preaching an off-the-charts message to Gentiles. Never heard the gospel. And he's, so, he's, he's such a skilled communicator. The way he opens up God's scripture. And he brings the gospel to them. And they listen to it for the first time. Unlike me, who took multiple times. And straight away... They want in. This gospel message of being rescued and saved by grace alone, that our performance doesn't count, our shame doesn't matter what you've done before, they want in. That's the Holy Spirit. It could be like that. It could be as we did this morning. We worship, led by a music component of that, of course. And sometimes I just stand there and worship and, and my levels of joy just go through the roof. When we're together, maybe it's when we pray on Tuesday nights over Zoom. Maybe it's in our small groups. Often in our small group, even though we haven't met physically for years and we meet over Zoom and I'm thinking, God, what can you do over Zoom? And then somebody in the call come and share something and open their life and be so real and so vulnerable and and I'm sitting there and I'm praying and I go to bed that night and I put my head on a pillow and say, Jesus, I'm so glad that we've met with you tonight. The Holy Spirit being poured out. 
And so whatever the context is, let's be open for that. But let's be particularly open for God to move when we're together. Because we see that in Scripture again and again. And then, I want us to see that we need to enjoy whatever God's give you. Whatever God gives you, you need to enjoy that. One of the most deliberating things you can do with your life, forget about Christianity for a moment. The worst thing you can do with your life is to compare yourself to others. Their cars, their houses, their holidays, their wives. Uh, okay, one wife, right? You're on a road to nowhere when you compare with others. And when it gets to our Holy Spirit experience, even more so. Because you're going to set yourself up for massive disappointment. I have watched people speak in tongues many times. And I have many times said, oh God, I wish it was me. I wish I had that gift. But God has chosen not to give me that gift. And that's okay. Because He knows best. And so, there's no room for comparison, friends. God knows exactly what you need. There is diversity. We will have very different experiences. For some of us, it is a deeply emotional encounter where it's so easy to start crying. That's cool. For others, it may be something physical in their bodies that their knees start trembling or they want to fall down. That's okay. For others, it's just euphoric joy. For others, it's a much gentler experience where God just nudges you and He reassures you. Some of my most profound experiences with the Holy Spirit was just God saying, Christo, it's going to be okay. I'm coming into your presence here. I want to assure you, it doesn't matter what chaos you see around you, doesn't matter how vulnerable you are in this moment, I want you to know things are going to work out. For me, that's gold. I need that. The reassuring presence of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to tell me in my little fragile world, my little vulnerable world, things are going to be okay. God, I like that. For others, it may be different. For others, it may be that they, that they need something different, a different experience. For some people, it's really tangible. For others, it's just a deep thing. My point being, God knows. Can we trust Him? Can we stop comparing? And can we start accepting what God wants to give us and enjoy what He gives us? God doesn't love the guy next to you more than you. I can assure you. We're all in the same boat. He would just give you what you need. And so, in line with that, let's not pursue the weird stuff. Let's not run after it. I'm not saying things can't happen. As we saw in the scripture this morning, I can't explain the passage on wild wind and fire. It's supernatural. It can happen. I'm not discounting that. 
But let's not chase that. Let's go after the giver, not the gift. And we won't be disappointed. Because he knows what's best. If it's unusual, let's bank it. But if it's the norm, it's good because it's from God. And so what do we ask for, you say, Krista? How do we ask? Well, we ask what we saw in all six accounts this morning. We ask for a heightened, wonderful experience of the presence and the power of God so that we can increase our boldness and assurance. If that's what it is, we're winning. God, bring your presence into my life. Reassure me. Let me experience you in fresh ways. Make me bold. Give me courage. Give me assurance. And I guarantee you, God will answer every one of those prayers. He's the giver of the gift that will change our lives forever. The Holy Spirit, the most precious thing that Jesus promised us. And it's real. And it's in our midst.